Good evening, ladies and germs. Welcome back to another stirring rendition. That's just what I'm going to go with from now on. Of I for an I. I am your host, Matt, and I'm here with my two lovely co-hostesses. Co-hostesses, right? I don't know. Jules and Lisa. Hi. Hello. We're back. Tell them what's up, y'all. Hello. Today we are talking about a very interesting case, one that I think everybody should remember. Uh, one of the biggest stories, I think we can all agree, news stories of the last, arguably, two decades since the millennia, right guys? Yeah, so I really actively remembered this case, but it, there's so much more to it than I realized at the time. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. Like I remember, well, we are talking tonight about the Boston Marathon bombings, and we were having a little pre-show conversation about how this was such a big event and how I was saying to Matt, I remember like being a fresh or excuse me, being a senior at Penn State and like going to Chipotle, like, you know, just living my life. And then we heard about this. It was so devastating. Um, but there's so much more to it. I believe I was in an English class and I was like English 202, if I'm not mistaken. And I was sitting in the front row. And some guy in the back row chimed in and was like, there was just a bombing at the Boston Marathon. And everybody turned, like, it was like an instantaneous, like, what moment? Like, could not believe he just right. blurted that out. I we think this like, is one of those things where, like, everybody remembers where they were. Kind of like 9-11, where, yeah. like, yeah. everybody remembers where they were. Yeah. I remember that whole day to this point. Like, right. Yeah, so it's one of those things, like, you remember where you were, um... But there's so much more to it, like I said, and I learned that as I um, first read a book about this case um, and then later went on to do some research. So let's jump right in because this is a doozy. And um, there are a lot of pronunciations in here that I'm going to try my best, but I will still probably butcher. So I mean no offense by that. I am trying my best, um, but I am a basic white woman. So um, I'm just doing my best. So... Uh, the Boston Marathon bombing was a domestic terror attack that took place during the annual Boston Marathon on April 15, 2013. Two terrorists, Johar Sarnayev and Tamerlan Sarnayev, planted two homemade pressure cooker bombs, which detonated 14 seconds apart at 2.49 p.m. near the finish line of the race. Three people were killed and hundreds of others were injured, including 17 who lost limbs. That kind of like encapsulates what we're going to, but like I said, there's so much more. I don't want to get too detailed about the past of the Sarnayev brothers because a lot of people, particularly in the book that I read, it kind of felt like it was a justification of the crimes. And I don't agree with that stance. I think we all have our own issues in our backgrounds, but that doesn't lead us down any particular path. So it's that nature versus nurture argument, George, right, we come right. back to and all the time. I think this one is so hard because it's, you know, people out doing what people do all the time, run races. It's it happens and you never think that that's an unsafe occurrence, but anyway, Johar and Tamerlan Sarnayev are from the former Soviet Republic of Kyrgyzstan and their family is Chechkin. So Tamerlan is the older of the two brothers and he was born in 1986, and Johar was born in 1993. The family immigrated to the United States in 2002, and they applied for political asylum, citing fears of deadly persecution due to their ties to Chechnya. 
Both boys struggled a little bit to acclimate to life in the United States, which is the only instance in this whole thing that I have any sort of sympathy towards them. I do think that coming to the United States from any other country can be, you know, difficult. They made the most of it. Tamerlan, uh, like I said, who was the older brother, was a really talented boxer, actually, and he was working on his citizenship so that he could apply for apply for the U.S. boxing team, which I think is really cool. However, the rules changed, and he was no longer able to apply for the U.S. boxing team, um, so he gave up. You know, he didn't want to represent any other country, and so when he found out he couldn't uh, box for the U.S., he kind of gave up that dream. Tamerlan had a history of violence. He was arrested in July of 2019 for assaulting his girlfriend, and Tamerlan was also connected to a triple homicide in September of 2011, but was not named as a suspect at the time. After the bombings, that case was opened back back up, that triple homicide, and ABC and the New York Times reported that there's strong evidence which implicates Tamerlan. So he was a bad dude. Right. A little bit of a rocky, you know, transition into life in the United States, which, which like I said, I understand, but the violence, whatever he was involved with this homicide, inexcusable. Joe Hart, the younger brother, a student at UMass studying marine biology at the time of the bombings. He was a bright, sociable kid. I would say of the two of them, he had an easier transition. He was younger when the family came to the United States. He was a a bright, sociable kid, just kind of got mixed up with the wrong crowd. He was selling and using drugs. But multiple people noted, both in and outside the family, that Johar really looked up to his older brother, Tamerlan. The Sarnaya family was kind of all over the place. They moved around a lot before they came to the United States. And then once they were in the United States, they didn't always live together as a family. Even when they came over to the US, the mom and dad came over first, which I know is a common practice, getting citizenship, you know, finding a place to live, all that sort of stuff. And the kids came over later. And the dad was a mechanic, a pretty decent guy who seemed like he was trying to do the best for his family, you know, making a living, doing what he needed to do. He had very high expectations for his children, which included Tamerlan, Johar, as well as two daughters. The mom was a little more questionable of a character. Um, She actually had a warrant out for arrest for stealing up to nine women's dresses. Interesting note here as well, Tamerlan and his mother were placed on a terrorism watch list about 18 months before the bombings took place. And his mother? So, yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. That's not good. We're going to kind of jump back now to the day of the bombings, April 15th. I'm going to try my best to go in chronological order here, but like I said, things kind of are crazy. April 15th, 2.49 p.m. Like I stated earlier, that was when the two homemade pressure cooker bombs detonated near the finish line of the Boston Marathon, killing three people and injuring hundreds of others, including 17 who lost limbs. I would like to point out the victims in honor of their memory. Martin Richard, who was eight. Mm -hmm. Crystal Campbell, 29. And Lou Lingzi, who was 23. Another interesting and like bone chilling fact, bombs went off. 249, I believe was the first one. And the second one shortly after. Runners continue to cross the finish line until 2.57 p.m. So a little less than 10 minutes later, people were still. I mean, like the Boston Marathon is a huge deal. I've run races I could never, you have to qualify for that race. It's such a big deal. And so it's just so sad that that event, that was such a big deal to so many became some something. And it's like truly like some people like train their lives right. for that kind of thing. Yeah. It's 
It's crazy. Rescue workers and medical personnel were on hand as usual for the race. You know, they're, they're kind of just there. They gave aid as well as additional police, fire, and medical units who were dispatched to the scene. Resources were being pulled from all surrounding areas as they didn't really know what was going to happen after. You know, they had these two bombs go off so closely together, but nobody knew if that was the end of it. They had that fear of like, this is just the beginning. Police who were following the emergency guidelines set up in any sort of big event like that, they started diverting the remaining runners and they didn't know if this was an isolated attack or if there was more coming. Nearby hotels and buildings were evacuated. Again, nobody was sure what was going on. They wanted to flee the area in case there was another bomb. Boston police commissioner recommended that people stay off the streets. Any dropped bag bags or packages were abandoned as people fled the scene. I am sure this was absolute chaos. All race atmosphere, even just a big crowd atmosphere, has this whole aspect of chaos, which you know is one of the things that I think pulls people away from those types of events. Yet alone, we have two bombs going off and nobody knows what else is going to happen next. Many false reports were received at the time because people are just going into a complete panic. Air travel over Boston was halted. No, no one knew what was going to happen next. They took all these precautions. It was just absolute chaos. The FBI originally thought that North Korea was behind the attack because of the current tension between the U.S. and North Korea. Government officials stated that there had been no intelligence reports suggesting such an attack. That's kind of where I was like, well, duh, like, isn't that how you pull something like this off? Like, you know, there would be no reports suggesting the attack or you would kind of know to prepare. I don't know. I thought that was just an interesting line in, in that I found. After being identified, this happened later on, the father of the Sarnayev brothers claimed that the FBI had been watching his family. He stated that they visited his son's home in Cambridge, Massachusetts five times, most recently in 2011, as preventative work afraid that there might be some explosions on the streets of Boston. So this seems to contradict like previous statements that were made, but I don't know. I just thought it was like, again, interesting to include that he said that the family had been, had been watched, but that probably makes sense because like I said, the Tamerlan and the mom were on a terrorist watch list. So evidence found near the blast sites included bits of metal, nails, ball bearings, black nylon, pieces from a backpack, remains of an electronic circuit board, and wiring. A pressure cooker lid was found on a nearby rooftop. Jeff Bowman, who was one of the injured, was able to give a detailed description of the suspects, go Jeff, which helped with the identification of the Sarnayev brothers. Yes, Jeff. Yes, Jeff. Literally doing it. And, and that's another thing. Like, think about it. You were injured by these bombs, you're scared and you're still able to give such detailed descriptions. But before he was able to give this detailed description, cause like I said, he was injured. So he was being treated in the hospital. There were many people wrongly accused. And this is like, you guys so upsetting. As, as I'll, you know, kind of give you more in information here, you'll see exactly why these sorts of people were targeted. So at 428, PM. Less than two hours after the bombing, the New York Post reported that police were talking to a suspect. Later that evening, the media had the name and address Abdelrahman Aharbi. So this name and address had been leaked to the media later on that night. Multiple media outlets reported his name, address, and were ripping apart his social media. The FBI later exonerated him, but it was too late 
for him to report to return to his normal life can you imagine that two hours after the bombings even took place his name and address are being leaked how so he can't even go racist. back to a normal life. after al harby there was a couple more people that were named as suspects sun lee tripathi salah geddon barhome and yasin zaimi they were all named as potential suspects by internet sleuths Barhome and Zahimi were Moroccan immigrants, and the New York Post featured them on the cover with the headline, Bagmen, Fed Seek These Two Pictured at Boston Marathon. What the fuck? Right. So think about, obviously, and like I said, I mean, no disrespect in my butchering of these names. I'm trying my best. But think about, like, the, this is not like Scott jones your neighbor these people were targeted because of the way they looked and their and names who they were in in you know this country and that's so despicable and they it's were all named as suspects for what for, uh, literally no reason also jeff was at the finish line he was waiting at the finish line for his friend who was running in the race when both of his legs got blown off oh my goodness mad props to jeff which mad props if and- you're squeamish don't google it but there are very famous pictures of jeff after this took place that are very horrifying very graphic yeah. lot this whole event was you know very graphic this country owes those people al harbi sunil tripathi saligat and barhum and yasin zaimi all a great deal of right that. and like, and that, i think that's disgusting we have to think about like not knowing what evidence they had we don't know what evidence right and we have to think about how the media even got because it doesn't you know it's not from what it seems like it wasn't like the police banging down the doors it was the media that kind of took in right internet sleuths like we talked about in another episode are they harmful or helpful and in this instance to these people they were harmful and i'm sure they thought they were doing something good by trying to identify suspects in this terrible tragedy but you've ruined these people's lives i I think especially for this kind of thing like you shouldn't publish names until you're a hundred percent certain those are the people and that goes back to our whole name suppression that we talked about right. yeah it's actually true oh. that does. okay anyway i'm gonna get back on track so we have our bombings and that, that was 249 by 428 was when the media kind of took over and now we're back april 18th 2013 so a few days after the bombings at 5 20 p.m pictures of the Cernayev brothers are finally released and authorities ask for the public's help in identifying the suspects so they have the pictures they didn't have the names at the time i in- interjected that johar and tamerlin were starting to receive messages from friends and they knew they needed to act they were like oh shit like people are you know on to us this is where it gets crazy and this is the stuff like i said earlier on in the episode that i had no idea about i knew that there was bombings at the marathon in to my knowledge at the time that was the end of it but it was honestly only the beginning so april 18th the day the pictures were released now we're talking around eight o'clock p.m the sarnaya brothers ambushed and shot sean collier of the mit police department six times what so they were attempting to steal his weapon which was a smith and wesson m and p 45 sidearm Unfortunately, Collier, who was age 27, died soon after. So they they were in that panic. 5.20 p.m., the pictures are released. They're starting to get messages from friends and people. They're in a panic at this point. They were trying to get the weapon from Sean Collier. He died thereafter. 
They went on to carjack a Mercedes SUV and forced the owner, Danny Meng, to use his ATM card to obtain $800 in cash. At this point, so one of the brothers got into the Mercedes, the other was in the Honda Civic, which was their vehicle that they brought to the scene. It was stated that they were headed to Times Square to set off more bombs. So this is what I was leading to earlier. Nobody knew what more could happen. Meng, who was the owner of the the Mercedes SUV, was able to escape, but his cell phone was left in the vehicle, which helped police to track. Now we're in the early morning of April 19th, so shortly after midnight. Watertown, which was a small town located to the west of Boston. In Watertown, the police locate the brothers and they start to follow the cars because they have this the Honda Civic and the Mercedes at this point. And they start to follow the cars and come to a stop at an intersection. Tamerlan steps out of the car and immediately takes fire at the police. And the police start shooting back. So ladies and gentlemen, we got ourselves a gunfight here. An estimated 200 to 300 rounds of ammunition were fired between both parties, including the brothers and the police here. Absolute chaos. Tamerlan eventually ran out of ammunition and threw his empty gun at one of the officers who proceeded to tackle him with the assistance of another officer. In the meantime, Johar starts driving the stolen SUV toward Tamerlan and the police who are trying to drag Tamerlan out of the car's path and handcuff him. Well, they didn't get out of the pathway soon enough and Johar runs over Tamerlan and drags him a short distance down the street, narrowly missing the officers. Johar abandoned the car half a mile away after he just ran over his brother and fled the scene on foot. I had no idea of that detail. That's what I'm saying. So Tamerlan's taken into custody and dies at 1.35 a.m. So this whole gunfight started just around, you know, shortly after midnight. And by 1.35, Tamerlan is dead. And I don't have official details on the cause of death, but you have to assume he probably got some gunshot wounds and then he was run over by his brother. Tough day. Yeah, so any injured police officers were able to recover. There was no major injury there, which is good to know. Things just keep getting crazier. We're still in April 19th, around 7 a.m. now. Police release additional photos of the brothers. Residents of Watertown and surrounding towns are told to shelter in place as the police continue to search for Johar. Because he left, he fled on foot, and they, at this point, they weren't able to find him. The FBI was there, the National Guard, there were helicopters, SWAT teams, and armored vehicles. They're going door to door. They're trying to find him. At this point, the boy's family start to make public statements urging Johar to turn himself in. The dad is quoted to say, give up. You have a bright future ahead of you. Come home to Russia. Even the family is kind of just like, you know, you have to give up. You have to turn yourself in. This next quote and interaction I thought was pretty funny. So an uncle of the brothers said he was ashamed of them and urged Johar to turn himself in and beg for forgiveness. When the uncle was asked what he thought provoked his nephews, he replied, being losers. Hatred to those who were able to settle themselves. So we talked about that earlier. The brothers had a really hard time assimilating. He seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, and he was just like, they're a bunch of losers. Fucking I love losers. that. Yeah. He just said they were losers. You guys so sucked. That should be the title of this show, Being Losers. Yeah, a bunch of being losers. So later on in the evening of April 19th, we're around 6 p.m., the shelter-in-place order was lifted. So about two hours after the shelter-in-place order was lifted, David Henneberry noticed that the tarp was loose on his parked boat. So in my mind, I'm picturing this like he took. Ew. Yeah. So he, in my mind, it's like he took the boat off the water for the season. It's on, in his backyard. He has a tarp over it. 
Upon further investigation, he saw a body inside the boat covered in blood. See something, say something. My boy David alerts the authorities. One source stated there was another gunfight that ensued. Another article didn't say that there was a, a gunfight, so I'm not sure what the final call was there, like once the authorities came to the scene. April 19th, 2013 at 8.42 p.m., Johar is arrested and taken to the hospital in critical condition with gunshot wounds to the head, neck, legs, and hand. April 19th, I love this part, you guys. April 19th, 2013, 8.58 p.m., official word comes via Twitter, my favorite social media, from the Boston police. You gotta love Twitter, man. Like, Twitter. Literally, I love this. Captured, all caps, three exclamation points. The hunt is over. The search is done. The terror is over and justice has won. Suspect in custody. It's like a poem. It is. I love it. We got more We got more going on here, and I haven't even gotten to the the part of this case that brought me to it because i i was when i was reading this book for my book club i remember specifically sending a picture of one part of the book to lisa and i was like what the hell you know in terms of sentencing so let's talk about it on april 22nd 2013 formal criminal charges were brought against johar he was charged with use of a weapon of mass destruction and with malicious destruction of property resulting in death He was moved from the hospital where he was taken after they captured him from the boat to a federal medical center at Fort Devens where he was held in solitary confinement for 23 hours per day. Love that. I love it. On July 10th of 2013, Johar pleaded not guilty to 30 charges in his first public court appearance, including the murder charge for MIT police officer Sean Collier. On October 2nd, Johar's attorney asked the court to lift the solitary confinement hold, stating that the measures had left Sarnayev unduly isolated from communication with his family and lawyers, and that no evidence suggested that he posed a future threat. That's too damn bad. You keep digging. You you committed these crimes. The least you can do is sit in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day. Now we're into 2015. Jury selection begins on January 5th and was completed March 3rd. The jury, like I said, I always love to include this because I think it's very interesting. The jury consisted of eight men and 10 women. Johar's defense admitted that- Wait, wait, 18 people? Eight men and 10 women. I always thought it was 12 people on a jury. Maybe Maybe the article I got that from was wrong. But I'd I'd love to know the breakup of men and women. I'd love to know even more details about all of them, what their occupations are, ages. I think that's so fascinating. Income status would be one that I'd be curious to know. Yes, definitely. So Johar's defense admitted that he had placed the second bomb and was present at the murder of Sean Collier, the carjacking of Meng, and the Watertown shootout, but emphasized the influence that Tamerlan had on him, portraying him as the follower. The the 10 women and 8 men included six alternates. Oh, okay. that's why. Aha. Uh-huh. Thanks, Thanks Basically, what they're saying is, yeah, Johar was there, and you know, he placed the one bomb, but basically, everything was the was Tamerlan's fault, which is very easy to say when Tamerlan's dead. Mm-hmm. You how know, convenient. <laughs> right? How convenient that you're portraying him as the as a follower, and the leader just happens to be dead and not being able to, you know, can't say anything about it. Between March 4th and March 30th, prosecutors called more than 90 witnesses, including bombing survivors who described losing limbs in the attack. I can't even imagine 
being a survivor and speaking my story and being there listening to the stories of others that has to be very emotional april 8th of 2015 johar was convicted of 30 charges including use of a weapon of mass destruction and malicious destruction of property resulting in death on june 24th of 2015 he was sentenced to death so a little bit of time passes here in 2018 johar's lawyers appealed his sentence on the grounds that a lower court judge's refusal to move the case to another city not traumatized by the bombings deprived him of a fair trial (laughs) which i I noted here which might be true but too damn bad which (laughs) i do think that's something i've definitely heard discussion of in other cases as well having a fair and unbiased jury pool and trial and all that stuff but Honestly, you you impacted the whole country. We were in Pennsylvania at the time that this occurred. We were not as impacted because we were removed a couple layers, but how are you going to go anywhere and have, you know, people who aren't knowledgeable of the situation? You don't. And that's the other thing is like I think this is a very common choice of defense in large cases like this where it's right. like everybody's affected by it they're like well you can't have it in the city where because there's no way you'll find an unbiased jury it's like you're not going to find an right. unbiased where jury where are you going to go anywhere. under a rock to the Illinois countryside that we talked about but it is a common defense <laughs> tactic to say right. like this is not right. an appropriate I think venue, it's so. bullshit and it's too damn bad but I do understand this constitutional right to a fair trial may have been impacted but I don't care that sucks. It sucks to be you. Recently-ish, on July 30th of 2020, Johar's death sentence was reversed by the United States Court of Appeals for the First Circuit, which found that during jury selection, the district court did not properly screen prospective jurors on how much they had heard of the case, which is bullshit. The death sentence was vacated, and he will be tried again in front of new jurors in a new location on October 13th of 2021, which just passed. Another notable note that I wanted to include, the Biden administration, who is notably against the death penalty, is pursuing this case and would like the original sentencing reinstated. Bang. Bang. And then Judge Thompson, who is a part of the case currently as it stands in its appeal phase, wrote, just to be crystal clear, Johar will remain confined to prison for the rest of his life, with the only question remaining whether the government will end his life by executing him. Pretty clear when we get to our discussion of eye for an eye, even if the death penalty is vacated, Johar will not ever set foot outside of jail again. So let's recap some sentencing because I have more. <laughs> so in terms of the Sarnaya brothers, we have Tamerlan who is dead, and you know, in term in in a way that's kind of his sentence. Um, and then he Joe, got off easy. Yeah. And then Johar, who will spend the rest of his life in jail, like I said, and will possibly have to face the death penalty. So in terms of the brothers, what do we think in terms of the punishment fitting the crimes? Uh, Tamerlan, eye for an eye was meant by Johar. This is the kind of case where I wish an eye for an eye was like back in like the medieval times where you could just like blow off his legs. Right. But since that's not a possibility, I think I think this is kind of a... Not a cool sentence, that's a bad way to put it, but 
I kind of like that he doesn't know if he's on death row anymore or not because it's kind of that like will they won't they type of right and in my hopes it's like each day he's like shoot is today gonna be the yeah like I don't think it works like no I don't I want it to work I agree and I think that is a pretty fair sentence for this I don't think he should ever see the light of day again and I think we'll see what happens if, as far as if they execute him or not. But even if they don't, I hope they keep him in the 23 to whatever hours of solitary that he's stuck in. Yeah, I don't I looked to Gen up, Pop. Um, when I when I wrote this case, I looked up to see if there was any information from that October 13th trial, but I couldn't find anything. But that is where I found that quote from Judge Thompson. So, Matt, what are your thoughts? He got off easy. Yeah. Yeah. I think honestly, oh Tamlin for sure. And then as far as Johar goes, I believe twenty three hour lockdown is no joke. Honestly, anybody who's got to go through that, I I honestly say you have little to no human contact other than an attorney and corrections officers. So that would suck. But I also wouldn't mind if they took him out back and left him where his brother's at, you know. Right. I think we let him suffer a little bit more in that solitary confinement. But, yeah, I think eventually death is most fitting to these two because, I mean, the fear. I don't know. I just, I also just finished a book about Columbine. So I have a lot of, like, attack in my brain, you know, in, in terms of, like, going to school, running a race walking by even just watching even if you're not running normal everyday activities should what if you're be... on your way to get a fucking bagel and a cup right. of coffee that's what i'm saying just like, happen to be like oh marathons today anyone who takes away the safety of those things they're everyday things and that's why that's what i'm like i'm gonna stay in my house and never leave but i guess my house could be bombed as well okay. i don't know <laughs> so you've been hanging out with those? <laughs> I learned a lot about the Sarnayev brothers through the book that I read and the research that I did, but that was not what drew me to this case. So there are some more convictions that I would like to talk about because to me, this like gets my blood boiling. We're going to talk about three friends of Johar, three of his college friends, because they were charged in... We have Diaz Kaderbaev, Osmet Tazakayev, Robel Filippos, who were all 19. So they were accused of helping Johar after the bombing. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. So I have a text exchange between um, Diaz and Johar. Who would like to be, who would like, what part would you like in the, in the play, Matt? Do I get to be the terrorist or his buddy? Yeah. I don't care. Okay, you can be the terrorist. Yes, yeah, you can be the terrorist. <laughs> All right, so listen to this. Sounds good, guys. (laughs) This is a text exchange between Johar and Diaz shortly after photographs of them, of of, uh, Johar and his brother are released. You saw the news? Yeah, bro, I did. For real? I saw the news. Better not text me, my friend, LOL. You saw yourself there? (laughs) Ha 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 ha. If you want, you can go to my room and take what's there, smiley face. But, uh, bro, salam alaikum. Which means, like, peace unto you. What's wrong with you? Haha, winky face. Can't right now, man. So, like I said, this was shortly after Johar and Tamerlan's pictures were released on the news. And to me, it's just chilling. I mean, like, he is straight up, you know, his friend asked him, you saw yourself there? 
and he you know says if you want you can go to my room and take what's there i don't know it's just it, it really was like bone chilling it is like, it's like so imagine getting that text from your boy too if you were his roommate you're like what the fuck is he talking well, it sounds about? like he was like and like he knew what was going on well so that's an interesting part of this another detail johar's roommate which was not diaz didn't know that any of this was happening so eventually after this conversation diaz robel and Ozma do go to johar's room it's locked they find his roommate who's just like in the like common area of the floor or whatever and his roommate lets them in and then he leaves them he kind of you know this is a, a normal practice he opens the door for the friends let them in and then kind of like goes back to what he's doing so his roommate didn't even know at the time to be alert or to be alarmed because the news hadn't reached him like that's how quickly this was all going down when the boys leave the room they take a black backpack with fireworks and vaseline a computer a thumb drive an ashtray a small bag of weed a pair of beats headphones and a red baseball hat sounds like a hell of a night out Right, so they just kind of like ransack Johar's dorm and take, you know, whatever they want. But what we'll find out later is that the police think that they were taking these things with intention. The boys are kind of spiraling as they see all of this unfold before they, their eyes. They realize without a doubt that this is their friend who committed the bombing. So we can tell from the text exchange that like Diaz is, hey, like you saw the news. And it's just kind of like settling in. You know, they, I'm sure they were in shock at first. Yeah, they kind of start to freak out. And in that freak out, they realize like, shoot, we shouldn't have this stuff. We shouldn't have this backpack. So they toss it into the garbage. And so during police interviews, because police eventually find all three boys and, and interview them. And they all initially deny visiting the dorm room, but later admit that they were there. Diaz and Osmat were taken into police custody first. The police cited visa violations as the boys were also from Russia. Robles starts to feel safe and gets cocky. He is the only United States citizen of the three boys. So that kind of is like, will come out later. So he starts to feel cocky. He's thinking, my two friends were taken in. I'm good. He texts one of his friends. I was the last person to see the terrorist. Can you imagine? A few days after that text was sent, he was taken into custody. So like, you know, calm your britches. They're just waiting to figure out how they can bring you in. This was a quote from the book that I read that inspired me to look into this case further. And it's called The Brothers by Masha Gessen. So this quote is directly from the book. The charges proposed in the criminal complaint against Osmat and Diaz added up to a maximum sentence of 25 years, five for conspiracy and 20 for obstruction of justice. But Robel, who would now be accused of lying to investigators, was looking at a maximum of 16 years. And because Robel is a U.S. citizen, he spent less than two weeks wearing an orange jumpsuit. On May 6th, on May 6th he was released on bail. It's May again. May again. May again. That's my brother's birthday. So this is just a really powerful statement, and I'm going to go back and highlight it again, but I do want to note that as I research this further, what I figured out is that two-week period that the author is referring to is before the actual trial took place. So he, like, when he was eventually sentenced, he did serve more time than that. But it still varies drastically from the other, so I want to go back and highlight that again. So the charges against Osmat and Diaz added up to a maximum sentence of 25 years, so they each were getting five for conspiracy and 20 for obstruction of justice. 
Robel, who, as far as we know, had the same took the same actions, went into the dorm room. We don't have necessarily evidence to say who grabbed what or who thought of the plan. You know, there's all that sort of detail involved, but the only U.S. citizen of the bunch was only looking at a maximum of 16 years. So I just thought that discrepancy was important to note. And like I said, that's kind of what drew me to this case because it really kind of annoyed me. And we talked about this when we talked about all the people who were wrongfully accused and identified as suspects because of the way they looked or how their name, you know, this pronunciation, the pronunciation of their name or, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever. It's just really sad. Diaz, Katerbaev, and Osmet Tazakayev were charged with conspiracy to obstruct justice, facing, like I said, up to 25 years in prison and deportation if they were convicted. Diaz ple- pleaded guilty and was sentenced to six years in prison and he was deported. Osmet pleaded not guilty and was eventually sentenced to three and a half years in prison and was then deported. So I thought that was interesting. That I always think it's, you know, is it better to plead guilty or not guilty in this particular case where these two boys had the same charges brought against them. One served a six-year sentence and one served three and a half. Robo was charged with knowingly making false statements to the police and was sentenced to three years in prison. In my little extra attachment of this case, guys, what do we think? It's hard to say eye for an eye because like I said, we can't identify. He took the laptop. He took the water. You know. The, the... I think honestly, it's good to note though, Jules, because I wasn't aware of that actually. Yeah. So. Why? Like, so it's like what, like I get that they like took things, but what exactly did they obstruct? Like, it doesn't sound like, it sounds like they were kind of like a side piece. They used the descriptions and the pictures from the actual event to like actually track down the Right, so what the police were saying was that them going in and grabbing all that stuff, the backpack, the computer, the thumb drive, all that sort of stuff was their attempt at getting rid of any sort of evidence and then not only did they take it they threw it away got it got it got it yeah so it's kind of like interfering with the crime scene more right. than and like, helping out their friend even yeah. though like anyone could think at this point in time your friend is thoroughly fucked so you right. might as well not go down on that burning shit well i just don't understand how like vaseline and a pair of beats headphones and a red hat and weed would i'd have be... definitely stolen the weed i'm yeah. just gonna oh, say that yeah. right now I mean, if i like, get that text i'd be like bro go get his weed i think like, the only thing of value would have been the computer and the thumb drive and fireworks maybe but other than that it's like they stole a bunch of like inconsequential shit meaningless things yeah so i think here i think i would I would like to know who stole the thumb drive and computer and if they were able to recover them, which I don't think they were. They weren't. Um, what was on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I know. I'm, I didn't include that fact, but they were not. By the time that the police kind of, well, because I, like I said, at first they all denied that they were even yeah. there and that they took anything. So by the time the police got, you know, they admitted to the police that they had not only taken the stuff, but then they had then thrown it away. I'm so curious they though, like if they it. took it, with the intention of like hiding something if they just took it because they knew their friend was either going to die or go to jail for the rest of his life and they wanted some beats headphone and some weed you know what i mean like uh to me it's like whatever reasoning they had doesn't really matter but yeah yeah, they're being college kids they were like bro he's saying i think that's a lot different than like oh shit get my laptop because there's my plans on it you know what i mean i think that's a little different like going in be like okay my friend's about to go away for the rest of their lives i want their beats headphones i want their dog you know like whatever I feel like that's a little different. So for me, personally speaking, I mean, based 
with what they are facing versus what they got. I'm not sure. Like I said, I kind of would like to know what was on the laptop, which we'll never know, which I'm sure there was some stuff on there. I'm actually okay with these sentences because, again, for me, thinking of 19-year-olds stealing stuff, I don't think they had the brain power to, like, make it this whole, like, big elaborate plot, like, to defraud the government or whatever. I think it was literally they just, like, wanted to take some shit before their friend was about to go away Well, and not to, like, derail your thought process here, but there is a whole other realm to this case, which I didn't get into, and that's pertaining to conspiracy theories about the whole bombing. So, like you said, like, were these innocent kids just thinking like oh shit you got some nice stuff and you're not ever going to be able to use it again so why can't i take it or was there more thought to it and and it's hard to say because we don't know and we will never know you know were they intentionally going to get rid of evidence what bothered me like i said was the discrepancy and when you think about what each person eventually served it's not as the discrepancy isn't as large. We have six years, three years, three and a half yeah. years. But that's kind of, like I said, what got my blood boiling in terms of this case is the discrepancy and the only difference in ter- in the knowledge that we have. And I did, like, I did try to research this a little bit more and there's not a lot to say, like I said, who took what, what the exact intentions were. But the only difference between these three boys was their citizenship. And to me, that just, like, really pissed me off because... I don't know. Yeah. So what do you guys think? Without knowing exactly what they were planning on doing, it seems a little harsh to me. Like, honestly, they really kind of fucked these guys over if they were just being... I almost feel like it was like a like a, um, a warning. Like, don't befriend people who are about to blow up. A, right. You know, like, if you knew anything, we're coming for you. You mean, like, thing. they used, they made an example Yeah, yes, I don't know what I said, but yeah. that was what I meant to no, say. No, I, I could see that, because honestly, if they were, like, they got off. If they were <laughs> yeah. conspirators, they got off with a slap on the wrist. If yeah. they're not, then... Then they must be a little bit harsh. Yeah, that's a little tough. Because, honestly, like, my instinct would have been like, bro, he just told us to go get his shit. Like, yeah. what should we do? Like, I'd be like... I'm at least getting the weed. We should smoke that while we figure it out. To be honest, I mean, like, I've loved true crime forever, but, like, I think if I was in this situation and not a true crime-obsessed human being, I probably would have not thought, like, oh, this is a crime. (laughs) I would have thought, like, my friend's going away. I want his shit. He just did something crazy. Well, right, and from the text interaction, and you know, he says, go, you can go to my room and take what's there. The smiley face, which I don't think you verbalized, Matt. There is a smiley face in that message. There is. And (laughs) do we have to think, like, that... I don't know. Is there is there something hidden there? And, and we'll never know. And I'm just maybe know. they'll come out of prison and do a tell-all. I don't know. I'm just well, you know, I'm just being devil's advocate here. But and there's there's also more. I want to end everything on a positive note. But there was, like I said, the conspiracy theories you know involved with this, and there was also a lot of backlash because the Rolling uh, Rolling Stone did a big article on um johar and has him on the cover and he looks like cover versus jim morrison versus like a a talented musician versus next to this like 
Why did they put his ass on the cover, making right. him look like? A, yeah, that's why are they having They're him like next glorifying it Jim Morrison? The only thing They're about not, them that's similar is their haircut. Drawing the comparison. <laughs> no, he did not. It wasn't like a double shoes. cover. I'm just saying. When I think of it, this was just like it was just. A little, yeah. Like, I was like, Jim stuff. Morrison's the fucking man. Why are we talking well, about him since next when to this a, guy? A fucking terrorist, murder right? Man, they weren't next to Oh, they're juxtaposed. Right. My God, man. Yes. Woof. I was like, wow, that's a stupid. They they were just like. It's like the hair, the swoopy hair, and and the. You know who he kind of looks like, though, for people who don't know, is Adam Driver. Kind of. Kind of looks like Adam Driver. Maybe if Adam Driver and Jim Morrison had a baby. Not Jim Morrison. I'm talking about. No, I'm talking about him, too. But Jim Morrison is the other picture that was. Oh, I don't think he looks a goddamn thing like Jim Morrison. Did you look at that? Swoopy hair. The hair? Like, bro. Matt, where were you when she showed this picture? But anyway. Our buddy Eric has that haircut. (laughs) It's not like. Yeah, so there's also, there's a lot of backlash about that because it's like, why are we, why does he get a cover of the magazine? Where's Jeff's cover? Yeah, that's. That's Well, Jeff, fun fact, got a full movie and Jake Gyllenhaal plays him. Oh my gosh, what's it called? We'll have to add that to movie night. Um, it's called. It's called. Stronger, and it's from 2017, oh, and apparently it was like a really good film. Love and that. Jake Gyllenhaal plays him, and like apparently they became like real good friends in real life. Wow. And there's like oh, an cool. interview on YouTube of them interviewing each other. And it's really funny. That's cool. Because he's the only one who like asks Jake about Taylor Swift, like all that shit, oh, and gosh. he like gives him a funny answer. It's kind of funny. They're so, like buddies. Let's get some final thoughts, and then, like I said, I wanted to kind of end this on a positive note and talk about all the things that Boston has done to kind of bounce back. Yes, please. So anybody have any any last thoughts? This is like a really interesting case. And like I said, so much more than I knew at the time. I'm really glad we covered it though because I learned a lot beyond what just took place that day. That's what right. we aim to do here. Exactly, right? That's what I'm right? saying. I think I, a lot I, of people would not have known No, I thought facts. it was the bombs at the at the, the race and that was it. And Two guys so and I, I know the one guy got killed. That's yeah. the only other things that I yeah. really, I mean, I recall a lot about that day, but I don't recall a lot about the follow-up. So Yeah. Like I said, my apologies for this. these pronunciations. I tried my best, and I mean no disrespect if I butchered them, which I likely did. But I wanted to kind of end everything on a positive note to talk about the way that Boston has really taken this whole thing in stride. I actually think I had like a Boston Strong t-shirt. They, there was a lot of stuff, and this is just like a couple things. There were so many more that were, were done nationally and internationally. One Boston Day is remembered on April 15th each year, and it serves as an opportunity to celebrate the resiliency and strength demonstrated in response to the tragedy. Boston really like took this all in stride. In addition to One Boston Day, there is the One Boston Fund, which was created to monetarily support the victims of the bombing. Uh, another great thing that came out of this, Boston University established a scholarship in honor of Lou Lingsey, who we mentioned before was one of the victims, but he was studying at Boston University when he passed away. And UMass Boston did a similar thing. They established a scholarship in honor of bombing victim Crystal Campbell, who was an alum of UMass. They really like took this in stride. And I don't remember if they took off a year for the race. It was only like one. I remember the first race after the fact was like a really emotional thing. Props to Boston for not letting this ruin such a thing that is such a great thing we talked about earlier people train their whole lives you have to qualify and it's a big event in the city and they didn't let this ruin that for them apologies for 
my butchering of names I did my best I listened to a lot of audio to try to pronounce things as best as possible but I'm sure I still made mistakes and I apologize but let's hear from you we want your feedback did you know about all this stuff in terms of the Boston Marathon bombings you know what do you think about eye for an eye any sort of comments or, or feedback we'd love to have a conversation share our podcast with your friends and fam rate review subscribe yeah and um we bid you adieu Adieu, adieu, adieu. To you and you and you. Oh my God, okay. Boom. Bye. Bye.